needed. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. Great to be here. It's great to be back. We did have an amazing time in Sri Lanka. God did some, uh, some wonderful things. And uh, it's amazing when you get a couple of pastors uh, or a bunch of them. I think there are about 70 or 80 of us together from around Sri Lanka, but then all from Australia and UK and, and elsewhere. Um, it's a great opportunity to have leaders in a room who often giving out, it was a moment for them to uh, just receive, be on the receiving end. So we are excited. There was a part of our reason for going was to also ordain um, Devlin and Zurika. It's a couple from the Bahrain church who one of the elder couples started the church in Colombo. It kind of officially started that Sunday, which was last week before last. So it was great to be at the beginning of another church. It reminded me of so many of the churches we've been a part of. Uh, 15 or 20 people, I think, in a room in Colombo. So, uh, so exciting to see a new baby uh, being born, as it were. And uh, so please pray for them, Devlin and Zurika. Zents, their surname, and they're in Colombo. There's a whole bunch, one of, a few of the ex well of life folks who've plugged in there, and we're trusting for great things to happen. I have the great privilege of kicking off the new series on um, evangelism, effectively, and uh, I'm going to speak about the title of today's message is Empowered for a Purpose. And uh, thank you to Francois for doing these slides for me. Uh, if it was up to me, you'd have nothing except the word. So, Father, I do pray uh, that your word has life, has anointing on it. It is able and uh, is sent out for a purpose. It will not, you said, God, it will not return to you without accomplishing that for which it is sent. So I thank you as I do my best to preach and honor your word. I pray that there's going to be uh, an incredible response uh, and a deposit uh, and an adjustment that happens in people's hearts and minds today. Such an amazing story, message, uh, theme, speaking about changing people's lives around the world. What an exciting uh, task you've called us to, Lord. So, I thank you that you help us. Thank you that you live inside of me. The anointing of God is on me to do this. And we trust for uh, you, God, to break in in a very special way. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Two texts I want to read out of the book of Acts. First one is in chapter 1 and in verse 6. And says this. Luke, of course, the doctor is writing um, and recording so much of what happened in the life of Jesus and in the life of the apostles. So when they had come together, they asked, that's the disciples, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It amazes me, we still have people 2,000 years on, who read this God-breathed word and who still are fixed and transfixed about knowing times and seasons. Jesus said, it's not up to you. This is not your deal. He said, 
um, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the word dunamos. You will receive power. Don't worry about dates and times and are you going to do this and when are you doing that? He said, you uh, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Very simple, almost sums up what I'm saying in one text. Don't worry about times and seasons. You wait in Jerusalem until you receive this power, supernatural, the dunamis, the explosive dynamite power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness all over the world. Amen. That's you and me if you know Jesus today. If you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, this is the word for you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived or fully come, some translations say, let me just say this, that there were three major feasts or festivals that Israel was called to celebrate. Passover, first fruits, and Pentecost. Passover, of course, was always prophetically speaking about Jesus coming, the Lamb of God. And so Jesus fulfilled in a very real way the Passover feast. That was a type or a shadow of the real that was Jesus. And whenever we break bread or have communion together, we are remembering Jesus, the Passover lamb. Fifty days later, first fruits was, was celebrated, which was a type of the resurrection. And then this day of Pentecost, which was a symbolic of, an, of a harvest, the wheat harvest, says when that day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when what was spoken by the prophets for thousands and, and celebrated for thousands of years had fully come. They were together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled, imbued, supplied, charged is the, is the sense with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's this explosive prophecy, don't leave Jerusalem, I'm leaving, you aren't. Don't leave Jerusalem until you have been filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness it amazes me how many, so many Christians, I was one of them for so many years, tried to be a witness without the power. And I was a pain. And we keep hearing about people, they're trying to shove religion down my throat. That's not the power of God encounter that God expected. That's so often religion trying to force its way on, into conforming people to a, a, a pattern or a way of life. God said, don't try and do this. Wait for power to come. And I want to say this by way of introduction. There's always a purpose when God does something. He's not sitting in heaven, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thinking, I'm so bored. We've been here for eternity. We have an eternity still to come. What shall we do today? 
There's a purpose in everything God does, and that has to include this call to be preached the gospel, the empowering by the Spirit for world evangelism. It says in 1 John 3, 8, talking about Jesus, I'm talking about purpose. It said the Son of Man, for this reason the Son of God appeared so that there's a purpose, so that he might destroy the works of the evil one. He came to do a purpose. And can I say this, that the nature of the purpose of God most of the time is one of permanence. For example, God's gifts, Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and the calling of God, the Bible says, Paul writing, is irrevocable. That is, it's without repentance. That is, I'm not giving and taking away, giving and taking away. The gifts of God are irrevocable. There's a permanence when God does something, when he gives his gifts to us. And the same with his presence. Psalm 26 and verse 8, David prays. He says, Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. And we keep saying the, God's presence, his house, his glory, is to be a habitation not a visitation. I'm not that thrilled by people who pray and sing songs of God, come and visit us. I'm saying, God, no, we are to be a habitation of the Lord. Amen? There's a permanence about what God is saying and about what he's doing. Paul says it this way. He said, we're all running a race, talking about athletes. He said, everyone competes, but only one wins the prize. Run in such a way that you win the prize. He's saying, finish well. It's never about how glorious you look at the start of a race. Amen? I'm, I was never a great athlete on the track. I was a swimmer and water polo player. But I did do compete at times, and I looked amazing at the start of a race. My little slinky shorts. I don't think I ever ran in spikes. But uh, I, I looked amazing at the start. And at, at, there were times when I went to school, we didn't have starter blocks. You just suck your feet into the ground. And, and, I, and I would start, I would be the first one out of the blocks if I had them. But how I many you know it's not that glorious how you start? It's when people are clapping so that you'll just finish the race. When everyone else is having cool drinks and run and complete it. And someone already has the prize. The problem is it's not about starting, it's about finishing. It's about permanence. And my concern is this, folks. When we're talking about the purpose of being empowered by the Spirit, is so many, it seems, and I have been around the block for a few decades now, so many, when we're talking about being empowered by the Spirit, are like uh, uh, the rockets that we see in fireworks. Boom, fire, lights, action, loud, high, boom, amazing, and then nothing. Just a shooting star, just a shooting rocket, looked brilliant, sounded amazing, beautiful colors, very impressive, where are they now? That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being empowered by the Spirit. 
Second point by way of introduction. The purpose of being spirit-empowered is also not for a show or for entertainment or for popularity. And there's a story about Simon who was uh, uh, described in the Bible as Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. We don't have time to turn and read all these scriptures, but um, take note of it. Have a look at home. I'm not lying. And it says this about him. He thought that he could obtain the gift of God with money. Let me give you the context. It says of him from verse 8 that he practiced magic, that people said that he was something great, that all paid attention to him saying that this man is the power of God. I mean, he had been built up. This was the dude. You move with such amazing power, this, this, this magician, this, you put on this great show. And the Bible says that he believed when he heard the preaching of the apostles. So he, he got saved, which is brilliant. And then when they laid hands on people and he saw the real power of God, people got filled with the Holy Spirit. They got empowered by, by heaven. He said, give me this power. Uh, so everyone I lay hands on will get filled with the Spirit. Here's money. And Peter rebuked him and said, may your money perish. And, and, and he repented. My concern though, folks, is people still, when we're talking about the power of God for a purpose, people are still thinking it's about a show. I want this power so that I will be popular. I want this power so that my meetings will be full. I want this power so that people will will go back and, and my name will be in lights or I'll sell more books or more magazines or whatever. That's not the purpose of being empowered by the Spirit. In fact, the Scripture warns us, saying this in 2 Timothy 3.1, understand that in the last days there will be difficult times. And I want to say, folks, if you don't know, we're in the last of the last times. Because this last time scripture was written 2,000 years ago. And he said this, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and he goes on and on and on and on. And then he says this, they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. The church has never been called to have an appearance of holiness or godliness. People are desperate to find you and find me who are the church out there wherever it is that you are and to come and experience the life-giving, glorious power of God in its many different forms. I had a picture when I was preparing this message and uh, this is particularly for someone maybe uh, who's a petrol head, I'm not one. I love sport, but I don't like motorsport. So it was unusual when I was preparing this message that I had a picture of a, and I should have got Leroy to pop it up, uh, a Dodge Viper. So I had to go on the internet to find out what that was. Um, and it, it, it was a, it's a very impressive looking car. If you come tonight, I maybe have it up on the screen for you. And so this is a vehicle, the Dodge Viper GTC. It's 645 horsepower motor, 20-valve V10 engine. Now, ladies, sorry, 
And as you're a petrol head, give me some uh, grace here. It does zero to 60 miles per hour in 3.4 seconds. That's reasonably fast. And it does zero to 100 miles, not kilometers, miles per hour in 7.3 seconds. It's an impressive looking vehicle, very slinky. But as I looked at it, I mean, this picture popped into mind. The problem was there was no battery. There was no charge. It looked beautiful, but it was useless. They have a form of godliness. Look at me in my Christian thing. They have a form of God. You look brilliant. But there's no power. There's no spark. And I want to throw out a couple of scriptures here just by way of challenge. Does this describe you well? Clothed with power from on high. The dynamite of the Holy Spirit. If someone wants to describe you, zoom in. I'm zooming in on you for a moment. And I don't want to embarrass anyone by calling you by name. But if you think it's not you, it's you. I'm talking to you. If someone was to describe me, you, does that fit me well? Clothed with power, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. If I think about you, that's what I would describe you as. That you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I get around you, I just... You're fiery. That signs accompany you. You cast out demons. You speak in other tongues. You're unharmed by drinking deadly poison. You lay hands upon the sick and they recover. Is that a good description of you? That you have conquered the devil, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony and you love not your life even unto death. Does that describe you well? That evil spirits, demon spirits, and they're all around us, they're all over the world, but evil spirits answer, Jesus, I know, Paul, put your name there, Paul, Peter, Mary, John, James, I recognize, but who are you? I have a friend, I was just praying this morning, I remembered the story. He's a larger than life guy. He's a very big man. Years and years ago, I met him. Great guy. We had him come and preach with us. He used to be a nightclub kind of honky-tonk singer and piano player. Smoked like a chimney. Drank like a fish cussed and swore like a trooper and then he met Jesus <laughs> and as loud and as brash and as whatever he was as an unsaved man he became that for the kingdom loud and proud and big and bold and he hated the works of the devil that he was addicted to in fact he could smell and I'm not taking a swipe at anyone here, but he said, I, I could swell, smell someone who'd smoked uh, um, cigarettes, tobacco. I could smell them from 100 meters away. And he said, if they're in the church and they're coming to me, don't you come and pray for me. I was addicted to that stuff for 50 years. 
he said this. He said, when I get up in the morning, he said, a big sign drops down in hell. And it says, Roy is up. Roy is awake. Does the devil know who you are? Jesus, I know. The demon said, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? Linked to that, I want to say a third point. This is still my introduction. I'm going to speed up. Are you with me? Empowered for a purpose. The purpose of being spirit-empowered is also not for a moment. And I already mentioned that. There's a permanence about what God does. I, I love when I hear people testify, Oh, Mike, you should have been there in 1966. I had this touch from the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Bless God. Bless God. And I said, I'm so excited for you. But have you got a more modern testimony than 1966, my friend? It's not for a moment. It's not, oh yeah, I got into the charismatic, pentecharismaniac, pentecostalism movement in 66. And I've been in the way since then. Hallelujah. I want to say, get out of the way. Now, you're in the way. If that's all it is, that wasn't your ticket into a charismatic Pentecostal church. This is about being filled continually for a purpose in God. Right out, the guy, um, Bonke, we used to work with him, Vanja, tells a story of, of the, what he calls a submarine Christian. I'm sure some of you heard me tell the story before. And he said, this is, this is how I describe a submarine Christian in, in the Dubai time zone context. He said, 11.59 Thursday night. Glug, 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 glug. Up comes the submarine Christian. From cruising at depths, no one had any clue they were at. Up comes the periscope. Up they come into church. And it's Hallelujah. Hallelujah, they worship God, pray all like the angels. Using all the Christianese, bless you, brother. How are you, my brother? God bless you. How are you? Praise Jesus. And we all think, oh, amazing. Until 11.59 on Friday night. Glug, 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 glug. Back down goes the submarine Christian cruising. For the rest of the week at depth, no one knows they're there. That's not what we're talking about. But folks, I mean, it's silly. But I hope that doesn't describe you. And please, God, may it not describe this church. What is the purpose then of being spirit-empowered? I want to say point, point four, I think it's there. It's to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus, who so loved the world that he came and died on the cross. To be so like Jesus, who came out, the Bible says, out of the waters of baptism, and it says that he was filled with the Spirit of God. 
and the Spirit of God rested on him and remained upon him. It says of the same Jesus that he came out of the desert and it said that he was empowered by the Spirit. And the same Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works that he will do because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send my spirit. It's to be like him with those three things. Those are my three points I'm going to rush through. What's it like to be empowered by, with a purpose? One, it's to have a permanent lifestyle of power. Two, to have a permanent lifestyle testimony. And three, is to have a permanent lifestyle as a harvester. Quickly. Don't, don't, don't delay me. Point one, these three points. A permanent lifestyle of power. Go to the next slide, thanks. It's to be permanently clothed with power, Luke 24 and 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed. And there's a word that, that the Greek uh, uh, translators have used that means to be uh, um, like a dyed, like a cloth that has been dyed. Be so uh, like sinking into a garment. That's what he's saying. I want you permanently clothed, dyed with the Holy Spirit's power. From on high. My emphasis this morning is about permanency. Please don't come and say it was great back in such and such. I traveled across the world to such and such, his conference, because that's where God filled me with his spirit. Thank God if that was a moment of contact, but please may it be today that we are permanently clothed with power from on high. Jesus was. In Mark chapter 5, there's a woman who, who was so desperate, she'd spent all her money on, on doctors and physicians and medical aids. And she says this, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. He was so imbued, he was so dyed in the, in the Spirit of God, it was such a permanent feature about Jesus that even his clothes were drenched with the anointing. And I've seen this through my Christian walk and I'm, I'm praying, God, may that be, may I be so filled continually, permanently with this clothing of heaven and this garment and mantle of the anointing of God that people bump into me and get healed. How many like that? And not would like it, are like that. I mean, you just start steamrolling people in, in the, on the metro. Oh, sorry. Someone's crippled. Boom, I'm sorry I bumped into you. But in Jesus' name, get healed. Amazing. Number two, permanently clothed with his armor. Ephesians chapter six. Put on, the Bible says, the whole armor of God. It doesn't ever say take it off. Anyway, but we think, oh, it's, a Sunday, it's Friday morning, I better put it on. Or I'm going to face something that's really tough. Let me make sure everything's in place. Now, just put on the armor of God so that 
you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Permanently clothed with his armor. Number three, permanently indwelt with his power. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Come on, well of life. Come on, you sir, you man. We're empowered for a purpose. This is a spirit-filled church. This is a spirit-empowered church. We were, a while back, we were still leading the church. Shemaine and I were still leading the church, and, and we were having a, an incredible outpouring visitation season of God just breaking in at all different levels. Cancers were falling off people in the meeting. People were dying in the meeting and getting raised in the meeting. And I had a whole bunch of, uh, not a whole bunch, some people. You know, the Bible talks about Pharisees and Sadducees and couldn't sees and wouldn't sees who come and say, there's no order. There's no order in this place. It happened with Bonker when he was preaching, Reinhardt preaching, and uh, he said he, 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 just in the middle of his message, God began healing people. And so they were screaming and shouting and running up to the front, and then they started falling down. And he said he had a few ecclesiastical lordships, as he called them, sitting in the back row of the meeting, and they came up and they said to him, uh, the Reverend Bonker, there is no order in this place. He said, what, are you, what is happening here? And Ronald said, I have no clue. I don't know. All I know is I didn't ask these people to lie down. I don't know. But then he said to them, excuse me, sir, I want to tell you there's two types of order. Number one, if you don't want to be disturbed, if you want to be at peace, if you want everything in rows, undisturbed, he said, go take your chair and put it in the cemetery. I promise you, you will not be disturbed. Everything is neat and in rows and it's deadly quiet. <laughs> he said, there is the graveyard order. He said, the other type of order is the maternity ward order. So everything is in rows, all the beds, all the corridors in rows, but there is screaming and shouting and blood and you know, if you had babies. But he said, there is life. And I said to these Pharisees and Woodensees who came and said, Mike, we're not comfortable with this. I said, I'm not comfortable with this. But I said to them, I cannot and I will not lead a church that has a name we are spirit filled, but denies the power thereof. I'm hungry for more of God breaking in and breaking through people who are saturated with the glory and the power and the majesty of God so that it's a bit messy. It's a bit messy because we're not perfect beings. We, God has poured his spirit into uh, jars of clay. And so it's not perfect. But folks, there is the power from on high. There is the glory of God that people are so desperate and hungry for. Come on. My question is, who overshadows you? 
Because in the book of Acts, the early church in the book of Acts, it's the people who were sick were brought out into the streets and put on cots and mats so that even Peter's shadow would somehow fall on them and they would get healed. There was such an infilling and overflowing of the presence and the glory and the anointing of God that people got healed through someone's shadow. That's in the Bible. Go read it. But I don't want to be preaching the stuff and saying, oh, yeah, Mike, was a good message. I like the submarine thing. That's what I take away. Oh, hallelujah. Must make sure my periscope's in the right place. I want us to be saying, God, God, that's me. That's me. And we're going to give an opportunity in a 10 minutes or so and pray for you. So I need to really try and finish permanently indwelt with his power, permanently filled with the, with the power and the spirit of God. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Don't be drunk on wine, Paul says. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled. The context is drunkenness. And he said, don't get drunk on wine. That's debauchery. But keep on is the Greek word. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about, not about 1966 or 1999 or 2005 when God did something. It's about keep on drinking from the fountain of life. And not so that I'm quarter filled, one eighth filled, three quarters. Be filled. And this is the result. Keep on being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Lord. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. This is the outflow of those who are drunk so deep of God and the Spirit of God and are so filled with the Lord that they begin to sing in, other, in songs, singing to one another in songs. How are you, Pietras? You're an amazing guy. But that's the reality. And, 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 and that, folks, if this happens, you don't have these grumpy, sour, lemon-sucking Christians. How are you all? Glory to God. I say glory. And we think that the degree of droop of the mouth determines how holy you are. Hallelujah. I'm singing and making music because the God is inside of me and his glory is in me and it doesn't matter what's around me. It's because I can, I can sing because God's on his throne and because his spirit fills me. I'm empowered for a purpose in God and permanently preaching in power. My f- Next slide, please. Permanent lifestyle of a testimony. Quickly, you have a testimony. You have a testimony. Oh, Mike, I'm not a great theologian. Now there was the blind man who got healed. But what he did say is, I don't know, I don't know who is this? The, the, the Pharisees and, and, and these religious guys, who is this person? And he said, I don't know. It got healed on the Sabbath. I don't know who he is. He said, he can't be from God because he got healed on the Sabbath. He said, I don't know who he is. All I know is once I was blind and now I can see. That's my testimony. I once was a useless drug addict, alcoholic, womanizing, honky-tonk player, piano player, addicted to 
alcohol, addicted to nicotine, addicted to a whole bunch of stuff, but now I'm, I'm born again by the Spirit of God and filled with a whole other spirit that doesn't ever run out. Once I was blind, and now I can see. I was reminded of a story I heard of a woman in Germany after the Second World War. She'd lost her husband a number of years on, went to a lecture by a professor who um, was uh, kind of expounding on very, very uh, articulately how that there was no God. He was an atheist, and he was teaching these kind of academics the fact that God does not exist very eloquently. And then he made his first mistake. He asked for questions. So this little lady was sitting in the front row and she said, yeah, yes, her professor, in her best English German. And she said, uh, can I tell you a story? He said, yes, go ahead, ma'am. So she said, this is the, my story. He said, my husband got killed in the Second World War. And she said, that brought such incredible devastation into my life and such uh, a depression she said, I had absolutely no hope. I was in a hopeless, depressed place for so long. In my desperation, I cried out and I said, God, if you exist, would you come and, and comfort me? And she said, whether you believe this or not, her professor said, Jesus Christ appeared to me in my room and he came and flooded my dark life with such intense light that my life has been changed from that time until now. And I have hope in the living God, and I trust I will see my husband again very soon in glory. She said, her professor, that's what my faith in a living Jesus Christ has done for me. What has your unbelief done for you? Her professor had nothing to say. You've got a testimony and it needs to be a permanent one, and we need to be permanently prepared, Peter says, 1 Peter 3. Verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared, folks. I mean, this great spontaneous, she, she went there, I mean, she went hunting for this professor. But have, be always prepared in your heart to give an answer. Number two, there's a permanent readiness about your, your lifestyle testimony of being spirit-empowered. I preached, a, 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 it became a series, which it normally does when I preach. This one could be, but I'm going to hurry. And I preached this, are you a Christian for all seasons? Or are you a four-season Christian? Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, and he said, Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. You don't have the luxury of being, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in a winter stage, Mike. A little bit barren. No fruit. Hallelujah. Bless God. But I'm filled with his glory but I'm in a winter zone. Leave me alone. I'm not joining life groups. I'm not being a part of this. Don't ask me to do anything now. But I think spring will come one day, one day. You don't have that luxury. Paul said, be instant, 
in season, ready, in season, and out of season. There are going to be some out of season moments where God is going to say, I want you, sir, to come and help me right now and do this. Would you go and minister to that woman? But I'm still in my winter zone. Oh, Lord. Have permanent fruit, number three. Story of the fig tree. Most of you will know that. Be permanently plowing, point four. I won't have time to open this up. I want to close this last point. Permanent lifestyle as a harvester. Number one, be convinced of the harvest. John 4.35. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest, Jesus speaking, he said, I'll tell you, open your eyes and you'll see the fields. They are white under harvest. C.S. Lewis is a quote, the church's main call is to draw people to Christ, to encounter him, and then make them like him. That's the main purpose of the church, is to draw people to Christ. My challenge to us, if we're empowered with a purpose today, is are you doing that? Are you convinced of the harvest? Number two, are you contributing to what I call his cycle? There's a sowing, there's a watering, And then there's a harvesting. That is the cycle of bringing people to Christ. Some sow, some water, God causes the growth. And some have the privilege then of harvesting. God says we've got to be faithful in sowing the seed. My next point is that there's a different uh, type of soil that we have. So there's hard ground, there's stony ground, there's thorny ground, but we are called to go and sow. That's why we are empowered by the Spirit. We're committed to His commission always. Allow yourself to be trained. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. I want to close with a story. Final story. Then we're going to pray. So the story is told of a turkey farmer who finds an odd-shaped egg amongst his turkey eggs. And uh, he's a little bit intrigued by it, but he leaves it there and, and it hatches with the other turkey eggs and it's a baby eagle. And this baby eaglet it pops out of the egg and, and looks at all its so-called brothers and sisters around him. And so he begins to grow up this little eaglet with the turkeys. And he's learning from his mother and father and he's learning from his brothers and sisters on how to be a good turkey. And so he's trying to walk like them and he's trying to talk like them and he's trying to food and gobble like turkeys gobble. He's trying to be a good turkey, but he, he said, he said I, in himself, I feel so awkward. My beak's not the right shape. I'm walking funny. All the turkeys are ridiculing him and saying, you're a hopeless turkey. To make matters worse, one day, one of his vindictive brother turkeys says to him, by the way, you're not even a turkey. You're a buzzard. You're a vulture. So he's completely now depressed, he's upset, 
he goes wandering in the woods one day and he comes across Drew, the wise old owl. And the wise old owl looks down at this little eaglet and he can see he's depressed and he says to him, what's, what's the trouble? And he says, I don't know what to do. And the wise owl looks to him and says, you don't know what to do because you don't know who you are. You are not a turkey. You are an eagle. You've been called to soar on the heights of the heavens. And as he was speaking this, uh, the story goes that this massive eagle flew overhead and screamed, the scream of a, of this, of a full-grown eagle. And this little eaglet suddenly said he had shivers running down his spine. And he knew intuitively this was true. I'm not a turkey, I'm an eagle. And began to lift his wings for the first time in his life and caught the upcurrents of the wind and began to lift off the ground and began to soar as he was called and as he was purposed in God. My concern is this, folks. We are closing. That we have too many turkey Christians. And some of these turkey Christians have become comfortable in their dissatisfaction. I know there's something wrong. I know there's something missing. I'm in this coop. I feel like I'm all, whatever you are, claws and beak. And it doesn't match my surroundings. I want to take you back to that challenge. If someone was to describe you today, would you say, I am clothed? With his power. I'm known to be clothed with his power, baptized with his spirit and with fire. Am I known to be someone whose signs of God accompany what I do and what I say? That evil spirits recognize who I am. Or does the story of the eagle and the turkey more summarize who I am? I feel like a misfit. I feel like I'm that car. Looks splendid, but there's no power. If you feel this way, the good news is today that can and we trust will change. We have been called and empowered for a purpose to be like Jesus, to go into the harvest field and to bring the harvest in. Joy, are you around? Won't you come, buddy? I'm going to ask you please to stand.